Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Hey, Betties. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Okay, buddies, I wanted to have a conversation today around inflammation and where we can begin to start eliminating some of the sources of inflammation in the diet specifically. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery, and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot after hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box 
free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. So you've heard me talk about inflammation before, and I usually will use the word inflammation interchangeably with stress. So stress and inflammation are, I will use them, I will use inflammation, I will use stress. What I'm talking about is the same thing. And essentially, I am talking about three different verticals or three different silos. And today we're going to focus on one of those silos. So when we talk about stress and inflammation, I will usually look at it from a physical uh, aspect. So there may be some physical stressors both acute or chronic of inflammation, chemical stressors, which we're going to focus on today, and then emotional or neurospiritual stressors. So just as a brief review, when we think about stress in the physical realm, an acute physical stressor or acute uh, source of inflammation might be something like falling off a ladder or falling down or hurting yourself at the gym or you know lifting the weights in a funny way. That might be an acute form of inflammation. A chronic form of inflammation, when we're thinking about it in the physical uh, vertical, might be sitting for too long, not getting enough generalized movement through the day, or sleeping in a uh, position that is causing compensatory mechanics, or even just having a gait or a walking the way that you walk is changing to compensate for asymmetries either across the spine, muscular symmetry, um, postural uh, realm, etc. So just to kind of give you an, an, an understanding of where I'm talking about in terms of physical stressors, what we're going to talk about today is going to be chemical stressors. So I'm going to talk about this in the context of chronic stressors. So when we think about chemical sources of inflammation, again, you can subcategorize them both as acute and chronic. And you can have acute uh, chemical stressors like medications that you take for you know a certain ailment uh, that can also become a chronic stressor if you are required to take that medication over time. Um, and then we are also, of course, the chemical stressor that is chronic that I want to talk about today is in the diet. So we're going to talk about some the inflammatory model of illness and then some of the underlying drivers of inflammation. And then the other one that we won't get to today, but I just wanted to men- mention it for thoroughness, is the emotional or the neurospiritual. And this might be acute, again, acute or chronic. Acute might be, you know, the sudden death of a loved one, a divorce, uh, and that might be chronic. And then it leads up to this acute event, which is divorce. Uh, It could be a job that is sucking your soul. It could be, you know, ailing parents that are really requiring a lot of energetic um, or emotional energy from you. So I wanted to start off with the chemical vertical because I think that it's a little bit easier to understand. And it's a in, in some ways, it's easier to begin to change because we can start changing these things in our diet immediately. The physical acute and chronic need a little bit of time. We need to love our bodies a little bit and give our bodies a bit of a runway for healing, especially if we have compensatory mechanics and biomechanics that have been going on for many years, many decades, which is often the case. And then again, the emotional vertical, again, you can understand how that can be something that will take a while to unravel. So I wanted to start with some quick or something that is a little bit easier for you to change to start making and creating some momentum in your life. And I wanted to talk about specifically wheat and dairy today. So 
When we think about reducing inflammation, this should actually be a tenant in any nutrition protocol. The tenant should be, we need to reduce inflammation, in particular if the individual is eating a more modern North American diet. Uh, The acronym is often the Standard American Diet, uh, abbreviated as SAD and aptly so because it is often full of processed foods, trans fats. Uh, lots of wheat, lots of dairy. And of course, inflammation or stress in this chemical vertical is going to affect everything, right? It can affect your digestion, your ability to absorb nutrients. It can affect your ability to like elimination and having regular bowel movements. It can contribute to weight gain. Uh, It can activate inflammatory pathways. It can lead to mitochondrial dysfunction. Like it can literally lead to anything and everything in the body if the stressor is present for long enough. And as I mentioned before, if we accept an inflammatory model of illness, and when I say that, when we think about chronic lifestyle diseases, when we think about cardiovascular disease, when we think about type 2 diabetes, when we think about Alzheimer's, these are all models of illness that have that are that have their linchpin. The lynch here is the in- inflammation at the core. We must start to look at some of these underlying drivers of inflammation. So when we think about wheat and dairy specifically, these are critical triggers to consider. These are immune activating inflammatory proteins that most people have a hard time digesting. And when we think about wheat, it is one of the most highly processed foods in our diet. It is almost exclusively rendered as a high glycemic flour. It is prepared with sugar, often with genetically modified, um, or, you know, it has lots of GMOs in it, genetically modified vegetable oils, which are often rancid and and, um, oxidized. And then of course, dairy is homogenized and pasteurized, creating essentially a dead, it's a dead liquid. It's like a high sugar dead liquid with distorted fats, denatured proteins, and almost completely unabsorbable through and, and, and thoroughly, you know, destroyed vitamins. And I don't mean to, um, gross you out, but I do think that's important to give you information so that you can make better and better decisions for yourself and your family. But it is odd that the human species, we are the only species that consumes an another mammal's milk. So you don't see in nature, you don't see squirrels drinking raccoon milk. You don't see uh, cows drinking goat milk or sheep, you know, look, you know, suckling at, at at a goat. So we we are the only species to really consume another species milk. So it, even if you just let that sink in a little bit, it is a little bit odd. But then of course, the industrialization of dairy is what happens is we hook these cows uh, these lactating cows up to these machines and it will continue to milk the cow whether or not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really give her a break. So any mothers that are listening here know that when your baby was going through a bro- growth spurt and you were breastfeeding that baby, your boobs were sore. Like they were, and you know, in my case, uh, you know, it, for at least in the beginning, they were cracked and they were bleeding and it was really, really painful. But for these cows, unfortunately, they are milked through the bleeding, through the pus, through all the things, through the crusting that happens. And I know that that's a little bit nasty to to say, but it's important to know that this is actually happening. And this is actually why they need to, this is why they need to pasteurize the milk. They need to boil that shit so that it gets so hot that they kill off the bacteria, they kill off the blood, they kill off the pus that's in the milk. And then you'll see often uh, things like fortified with vitamin D, fortified with vitamin whatever, 
because they have distorted and thoroughly destroyed these vitamins. So they have to add them back in through the boiling process. So I want to think about, and I want to give you a little bit of background in terms of what we can expect with gluten and dairy, and then how we can begin to eliminate those. I want to give you some action items as well in terms of what you can do in your own life as well. So first thing to note is that the molecular similarity between gluten and casein actually makes them co-conspirators. So, uh, and we especially see this with autoimmune, uh, our, our ladies with autoimmune uh, conditions. So we know the gluten, the protein in gluten is called gliadin. And when we look at the molecular structure of gliadin, it actually looks like the thyroid. So it has a, a, a similar structure to the thyroid as well as the cerebellum. So whenever you have, if you are someone who, or know someone with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, uh, often nicknamed Hashis or Hashimoto's, um, you know that eating gluten can be a trigger for a flare-up because often this woman has hyperpermeability in the gut. So when she consumes wheat, which has gluten in it, and the protein there is gliadin, that will pass through the gut barrier, make its way into the bloodstream. The immune system says, oh my God, here's some gliadin. It is a, it is foreign. It is not part of us. We have to attack it and get rid of it. And then sometimes the immune system will also mess up and say, and look at the thyroid and be like, oh my God, look, there's more of the gliadin because it is because of the molecular similarity that it has, the thyroid um, has to this gluten. And the same is true for our cerebellum. And this is actually why we see Hashimoto's they will when they're in a flare-up they will they will have um, they will can complain of brain fog they will complain of mood changes sometimes they will also have motor uh, changes as well the cerebellum cerebellum is is very much involved in coordinating the motor responses that we have and cleaning it all up so when we look and of course when we talk about this in the context of um, mood disorders, we actually see that in patients with casein antibodies, so casein is the protein that is found in dairy, there is, so patients who have casein antibodies, seven to eight X increase in the diagnosis of schizophrenia. And they have a similarity, like they've also similarly uh, demonstrated a three to five increased risk of bipolar disorder. Okay. So when we think about cow's milk, there is usually six types of protein in cow's milk. So there's four casein, which is comprised of about 80% of the proteins, and then two uh, whey. And then within the casein category, we have A1 beta casein, which is the most com that's most commonly present in Holstein cows, which are the cows that um, uh, they're like American cows where we typically get our dairy from. Um, and that's actually thought to represent a mutated form of the protein. It's, all, it's not that, you know, it is a genetically modified form of that protein. And it's only, it's, uh, I read in just in preparation for today's Geeky Magic that it's only about 5,000 years old. So very, very important to note that um, casein, when we see patients with casein antibodies, you are also now at an increased risk for some of these mental disorders like schizophrenia, like bipolar disorder as well. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. 
I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount, that is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, they, um, there is a genetic, because the, um, there's a molecular similarity be- between gluten and casein, as I mentioned, this makes them co-conspirators. So we have to be eliminating both the dairy and the wheat from the diet to see if your symptoms improve. And of course, um, one of the things that people don't realize is beyond the direct, you know, the direct brain stimulation and poor digestion with local inflammation that cow dairy has, it can also be a source of blocking or creating rather folate antibodies. So when we think about folate, uh, women who are thinking of getting pregnant, this is of of great concern, right? Because we know that folate is very important for the nervous system development, especially early on, usually before you even know that you're pregnant. This is why we recommend for pregnant women to be supplementing um, preconception with adequate amounts of folate because we will see things like neural tube defects, I would see in uh, in practice, I would see something called spina bifida, which is the inc- like the incomplete forming of the spine around the spinal cord. So you could have different degrees of that. Um, but if you have folate antibodies, your body is now attacking folate. So you can understand how that might gum up the receptors that are responsible for, for transporting this really critical nutrient to the brain and the nervous system, not only for you know a mother who is thinking of uh, conceiving or becoming pre- or a future mother becoming pregnant, but just for any woman, any man who um, who values their methylation because folate is an important part of that. So when we think about going gluten free and dairy free, this is going to eliminate all processed foods. And I'll give you a list in a second of, of things that like sneaky, sneaky sources of gluten and sneaky sources of dairy. But generally for dairy, we want to include all milk-based foods on all products. So like things like yogurts, cheese, ice cream. I know, don't hate me, but that's what you got to do. And then for gluten, actually, I'll just give you the, I'll just give you the list right now. Uh, so Here's like some popular foods that contain gluten. We got breads, of course, pastas, cakes, cookies, muffins, like your usual suspects. Beer is a source of gluten. Breakfast cereals, couscous, Um, uh, farina or farina if you're Italian, semolina, spelt, flour, like usually flour is a source of gluten, of course. That's how we get the beautiful breads and stuff um, when we're baking. Hydrolyzed vegetable protein, sprouted wheat, rye, barley, spelt, Um, camet, wheat, so bran, durum, germ, gluten, malt, sprout, starch, all that stuff, uh, and batter fried foods, snacks such as potato chips, rice cakes, crackers, and I'm getting rid of all your good stuff, right? Salad dressings are also a source of gluten. They can be, so you always just make your own olive oil and vinegar for the win, always and forever. Ketchup, soy sauce, marinara sauce, processed meats, imitation crab meat, 
ice cream and candy, vegetable gum. Um, and then you can also actually find gluten in, in, in beauty products. So lipstick, lip gloss, lip balm, um, drugs can also contain gluten as well. So when we are thinking about eliminating these things, so like kind of best practices first is to actually start journaling how you feel, right? So I want you to be, whenever you consume, if you're not quite ready to eliminate, you're like, okay, listen, I don't want to do this, <laughs> but I do want to see if she has a point. So what I would like you to do is keep a bit of a food journal. And anytime that you uh, consume either dairy or wheat, I want you to, in the next five to seven days, and this is important, it's not necessarily immediate, although it can be, but sometimes when we have an intolerance or a sensitivity to dairy and wheat, you can see symptoms up to five to seven days later. And often it's that like at seven days, like that's a week later, you may not necessarily chronologically link the inflammation or the symptom that you're experiencing now to the cheese sandwich that you had a week ago. So it's important for you to be tracking both what you eat, like the date and the time, and then when you actually experience the symptom. So the symptom can be immediate and that's actually pretty easy to link, but sometimes it's not. And that's what can make it a little tricky for, um, for some people. So couple things to look out for in terms of symptom presentation, bloating. Okay. So the feeling of your stomach feeling swollen, full of gas after you've eaten, or again, it can, you can feel that several days later. Um, digestion issues. We mentioned gas, um, bowel movement changes. So this can actually oscillate depending on the person from constipation, meaning that you are not having a regular, regular bowel movement daily and re a regular bowel movement, or I should say a normal bowel movement is somewhere between one and three times daily. So at least one a day, but it can be more than that. And then all the way to the other spectrum where there's diarrhea, where your stools are quite loose, quite watery. You might see that they're kind of mucusy as well. Um, so any of these symptoms um, after you consume wheat or dairy. Another symptom that you might experience is stomach pain. So much like bloating, right? It is one of the most common complaints uh, that I hear from patients where they have sort of this like sharp pain in their stomach. Um, now, headaches and brain fog. Here's another one that I want to just say that this connect, this often doesn't happen right away. It often doesn't happen right after you have the cheese sandwich or the ice cream or whatever. This often happens several days later. So that might be... Um, you know, migraines, it might feel like a tension type headache, you might feel pressure in the head. Um, brain fog just means like things sort of kind of feel foggy, like you have the words in your brain, but they can't quite get to your mouth. Everything seems a bit hazy. Um, skin issues are another really big um, uh, sign or symptom that there's something going on in the gut. And I just recorded a really wonderful podcast uh, with Jennifer Fugo, and we talk about eczema, we talk about psoriasis, we talk about rosacea, we talk about all of those things where we see skin rashes and how those relate to gut, and that's actually coming out soon. But things like dry, itchy skin, uh, the eczema, like I mentioned, the psoriasis, acne, um, all can be signs that you may be reacting to the gluten. Um Anxiety and depression. So I mentioned bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, which I started off with intentionally because I wanted you to, I wanted to really uh, highlight that this is not just like, oh, I'm just doing like a little elimination diet and this is just going to be a little fun experiment. Like this is, it has consequences to your brain health. Anxiety and depression we know happen in uh, women 
orders of magnitudes more than they do in the male population. And that's not to say that it doesn't happen with our men. Of course it does. Um, but it is really important for a woman who is experiencing anxiety and depression for her to maybe consider especially if she's on a medication for the anxiety or the medication for depression, that it may actually be something that she can improve or ameliorate through her diet. And that's not often spoken about if you are going to your medical doctor or your psychiatrist to refill your prescription. They're not saying, you know, how's your gluten? You know, like they often don't have that conversation in terms of how diet um, can influence your mood and your state. So, and the, the other the other big one there is like um, that I haven't mentioned is nutrient deficiencies, right? So like your B12, your folate status, if you are now consuming gluten and your bot and you have hyperpermeability in the gut, and then you are creating folate antibodies, your methylation is going to be poor. Your clearance of toxins are going to be poor. Mood's going to be poor. Um, you know, an unhappy gut, of course, can lead to a substantial change in mood. Most of our serotonin is created in the gut. And of course, we know the gut brain connection is very real. So if your gut is unhappy, if hyperpermeability you have bugs that are overgrowing there that shouldn't be there. Um, you just have general gut dysbiosis. This is going to lead to a substantial change in your mood. And the last thing I'll ask you to look out for is in, uh, is joint pain. So musculoskeletal issues. I would see this all the time in practice where we would have uh, achy knees, achy necks, headaches, low back pain. And of course, the chiropractic adjustment is absolutely wonderful for relieving that pain. But when you continue to keep the stimulus in the lifestyle, right? When you continue to bombard the neuromusculoskeletal system with gluten or dairy, and you have a problem processing that, that is going to create changes in the pressure, in the, um, the pressure of the joint. It is going to in part, it's going to activate inflammatory pathways that are going to cause the joint to swell the glide of the bones in, like the cartilage is going to deteriorate and then the glide. So you normally when you have full range of motion, full pain-free range of motion, it's because your bones can actually glide beautifully across each other. And that is inhibited when you are consuming lots of dairy and lots of gluten. So what can we do? Elimination diet, I've sort of been alluding to this as we've been talking about. So a minimum amount of time for you to eliminate is a month. I have often found that the sweet spot is more like two months. So for one month, this is a, enough time for us to bring down the inflammation. Um, and then I like to actually do it for another month to allow for healing to start happening. So journal, you're going to be journaling your, uh, when you are eating the dairy and the wheat, how you're feeling and when you feel those things. So those symptoms that I listed off and how long after. And then after you do that, it might be also time for you to reach out and do some food sensitivity testing with your functional medicine practitioner, your chiropractor, your naturopath, or someone who is really involved in holistic health. So no gluten, no dairy, minimum one month, about two months is probably where I'd like you to do it. I would love for you to try this and let me know how this works for you. You will find that you are probably going to sleep better. Your headaches are going to decrease in their frequency and their severity and their duration. If you do, if you are a headache sufferer, uh, you're probably going to lose weight because when we know when you are in a pro inflammatory state, it is very hard to lose weight and you're just going to feel better, which is 
kind of the point, Betty. I want you to feel good. So try this and let me know how it works for you. You can either leave me a review. You can come to our Facebook community and, and let me know if this experiment worked for you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.